You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome again to Antioch. We are in a season working through the book of Exodus. There's the Old Testament portion of the Bible, the New Testament, Genesis, Exodus, or working our way through an historical narrative. And that's a, it's a good thing, church. It's a little bit different than going through maybe a, a letter of the book or a letter of the Bible. And so it's good for us as a church to understand the historical base for why we are Christ followers, I mean, why we're believers. And so with uh, the narrative, uh, historical, you know, design of the book of Exodus, we're going to work through a lot of scripture today, okay? So I'm not, I'm not apologizing for that. I think that's a good thing. So we're going to have our Bibles and read. So if you have your Bible, we're going to have things on the screen as well. But Exodus chapter 11 through th- chapter 13. How about that? We're just going to tackle three chapters together. You'll be out of here by noon. I'm, I'm, <laughs> now, if it comes to be noon, get out. Just walk out, man. Just, I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding you, really. It, we shouldn't go too long. But I just want to encourage you that even though it's, an, it's a historical narrative, and there's a lot of information here, but, but God's word is transforming. Amen, church? This is a living document. The Bible says the word of God is alive and active, sharpening a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints of the marrow. So God's word here in Exodus, man, goes, goes right to go right to the heart. Amen? Right where we need to hear what God has to say for us. Last week, we looked at the fact that the Lord, our God, that he is the true God that he is a a mighty creator, that he is a just judge, and that he is a a gracious savior. And so we're looking forward to our time as we navigate chapter 11 through chapter 13. Appreciate the privilege today to be one of your pastors and to be able to uh, deliver the word. And so may God give us direction through that and may you be encouraged and may we have ears to hear and a heart to obey. Romans, before we get there, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, I think it's a classic passage that really helps us in Exodus. Uh, the, the Bible says, for the things that were written in the former times were written that we might have encouragement and we might have endurance to the scriptures and have hope. Right, that's good. So this historical narrative can give us endurance and can give us encouragement and also can give us give us hope. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to join here in uh, chapter 11. I'm going to give you just a couple of different points as we go through to kind of uh, hang the, the information on to help us walk through the navigate and through this narrative here, the timeline that God has for us and to say, God, man, speak to my heart and, and to make a change in me. So we're going to look here at chapter 11 and just give a couple of timelines here and then jump into the main narrative of this book of, of Exodus. So the timeline facts I've looked at here, first of all, a catastrophic event is about to take place. We're going to pick it up here in chapter 11, verse 4 through 6. Moses said, thus says the Lord. So Moses has been given the responsibility to make an announcement to Pharaoh. I, I like that phrase. Moses said, 
Thus says the Lord. It's not about Moses. And by the way, today, it's not about Bob. Amen. It's about what God has to say through his word. I just love that statement. Moses said, here's what God is saying. About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all of the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there had never been, nor will there ever be again. And so he talks about this catastrophic event, this, this plague of death. We navigated last week and went through the first nine plagues, the, the, the plagues of the Nile River turning to blood. And we talked about the gnats and the flies and the boils and the darkness and all kinds of stuff and the plagues that were there. Do you think after all these plays going, that Pharaoh would have just said, okay, I, I give in, I give in. But we find out through that narrative that over and over again, he hardens his heart. He hardens his heart. Six times, I believe it believes in that section, six times out of 10 plagues, his heart is hardened toward God. The same thing can happen to us, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. And then we, we see how God is, is working here, and that this, the, the, the weight of this catastrophic event of the firstborn to die. And then the second timeline here is that, that Israel is, is going to experience protection through this in verse 7. Moses is still speaking and says, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. Kind of an example, not even a dog is going to growl against the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So he's going to, we're going to discover here, he's going to protect his people. He's going to protect them. He's saying the people of Israel are exempt from death because of their obedience. We're going to talk about that blood being applied to the doorpost for those to be passed over by, by God. Then there's this exodus that's imminent in verse 8. He says, all these servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So, so here's Moses over and over again, being God's spokesman and giving all the, the plagues to him and all the things that were happening and hearing all the, uh, the excuses that he was making about that. So he, at this point, he said, man, I, here it is, man. An exodus of God's people is imminent. They are going to go out. He makes no apology for the message. And basically he's saying, judgment is at the door. Judgment is coming. And so now we're going to look at the preparation for Exodus and just work our way through chapter 12 and chapter 13. First of all, God announces a substitute. All right, we're going to see God here in this Passover season is going to announce a substitute. We're going to read chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. And I think I have some screen on the words here on the screen and we'll look here in the text. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So what God is doing here is even changing the Hebrew calendar. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a new month. It's not like the beginning of their year. It would have been our March or April. It was the month of Nisan. And so God, in this announcement of a substitute mentions, hey, there's going to be a change here even in time. This, this means so much. I'm even changing the month here and giving you a new month. Verse 3. 
tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month of April or May, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Okay, so here, here's a lot of historical information that's happening here. And what he's saying here, it's a whole new month. You're going to take a lamb on that 10th day, sacrifice it, right? I often thought about, well, well why, why a lamb? We're going to get to that a little bit later. Why, why not a lion? Why not a bear? Why not a horse? So we're going to get and talk a little bit about the significance of a lamb later as we navigate our way through. And so it's important to know that the Passover for the Israelites, this was, a, this was a whole new day for them, really a beginning of a new religious year that they will begin to uh, have every year. In fact, even today, uh, Jews have a yearly Seder where they, they, they recognize and they, they eat lamb and they have different bitter herbs, they eat unleavened bread, always remembering the Passover and what God has done for us. If you've been around Antioch for a, a while, uh, back in, I think, like 2009 and 10, we, we had two different seasons. We had uh, some uh, rabbis come and do a Seder. Anybody remember that? Anybody was there back in those days? That was really interesting to go all through the Seder and what that was like, and maybe we'll do that, that again. So I'm just saying that, just saying what we're talking about. Well, sorry I brought it up. All right, so. Uh, but God's providing specific instructions for this regarding of, of the feast. One year male lamb, no blemish, perfect, 14th day of the same month, you'll kill this lamb at twilight. Let's pick up the narrative here in, in verse number, let me get back to my text here. I think I missed a spot here. Oh, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 7. Excuse me, chapter 12, verse 7. Continuing the narrative. Then shall they take some blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh, they'll eat that lamb that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. And so this, this picture here of taking this lamb and then taking the blood and putting it on the doorpost of a, of a house, the, the lentil is the support frame of the, of the top of the house. So the, the picture that you put the blood there and the blood here, and when the death angel comes, he will, he will pass over you because the blood has been applied on, on the door on the doorpost. He says, you're going to have unleavened bread. That means bread without yeast. And the picture of that is, man, when they, they leave Egypt, they got to get out of there quick. So there's no time to wait for the bread to rise. And so it's this picture of, we got, you just got to get going, the bitter herbs. And it's been a bitter 400 years we've been in, in Egypt. All these, again, pictures of, of this substitute. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse nine. Then he says, do not eat of any of it that is raw, boiled in water, but roasted, its head and legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain till morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall go out in haste. So it's just like, man, 
we, we got to get out of here. Okay, we're going we're gonna to move quick. Here, here's the instructions. Here's the story. Here's what's happening. We've got to move fast. This is the Lord's Passover, he says. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land. This is verse 12. I'll, I'll, I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and in all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so he gives all these details about what's going to happen when you put that blood on the doorpost. I am going to, to pass over you. I'm going to pass over you. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 through 20, uh, illustrates a lot of the details there. He says, this is going to be a memorial day. You're going to celebrate this day every year throughout all your generations. You're going to keep this feast. It'll always be an unleavened bread to remind you that when you left Egypt, you had to get out of Egypt quickly and make haste to get out. So he gives those instructions. And then chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders, the leaders of Israel, and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the, the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you. Verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised you, you shall keep this service. Verse 26, and when your children say to you, why do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, and the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. So we see again this reminder of this, this Passover emphasis and this Passover process. And so there's a question here, why blood? Why, why a lamb? Why not a horse? Or why not a, you know, a lion or a bear? Why a lamb and why, why blood? Well, we look in the scriptures and discover in the book of Exodus chapter 17, verse 11, here's what, here's what God said. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Bottom line is, no blood, no life, right? No, no blood, you don't live. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement or reconciliation for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement or relationship with God possible. That's what he's telling us there in the book of Leviticus. And so the blood was necessary because the blood represents life. Blood represents the life of the body. According to Cleveland Clinic, talking about the, the, the system of our body and the, the veins and arteries through our body, that it's amazing what had happened. He says, our, our bodies have veins in, in part of, that are over 60 
60,000 miles of that in our body. Can you, there's 60,000 miles of veins in your body. That, that just blows my mind. Your, the, the Cleveland Clinic says that the, your, your heart, the size of your fist, pumps 100,000 times a day, producing 2,500 gallons, pumping 2,500 gallons of blood every day, right? Just this little heart. I mean, that just makes me tired thinking about it. I mean, can you imagine? There's a lot of things going on in there. 100,000 beats a day. Over 2,000 gallons it pumps. This blood is significant. The heart, the body, the souls, the blood makes life possible. Without it, we have no life. So God chose to use a blood sacrifice as a reminder of life and death. A blood sacrifice represented the cost of one giving or making the sacrifice. Every Hebrew, every Israelite was making a sacrifice to give of their lamb. That lamb represents a sacrifice, and we're going to get to it later on, but Jesus Christ is the ultimate Passover lamb. He's the ultimate sacrifice. So what happens here in Exodus chapter 12 in this historical narrative points to Jesus and what he's going to accomplish on the cross for our sins that makes it possible for us to have eternal life. Amen, church? Not every year. we got to go through every year to make it right or get saved every year. Once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are all in because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so the Old Testament animal sacrifices were representative of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood was poured out for a one-time sacrifice for the sins of the world. Romans 5, 9 puts it this way. Since we now have been justified or declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Because of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, shedding his blood on the cross for our sins, we are now saved from the judgment and wrath of a holy God. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. And so the blood represents life. The blood represents a cleansing. The blood represents the life that God has given to us and the life that he has given to us by his sacrifice on the cross for us. And so we see all these details about the Passover. And then we're going to notice in chapter 12, verse 29, now we see, we see judgment coming in verse 29 of, of chapter, chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So even Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the known world, who people believe to be a god, deity, he's not exempt from his son, firstborn son, being taken. Verse 30, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. It's easy for us to just read that over and say, okay, we read that. But can you imagine what that must have been like in the entire nation of Egypt? That cry out there that, man, the death of the firstborn. I can't imagine what that must have been like. 
Verse 31, then he, Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, he didn't even wait till the next morning. That night he said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. It's like, man, I'm, I'm done. It's, it's over. Get out of here. If you don't mind, give me a blessing on the way out. I mean, this is unbelievable. It's happening here in this section of Scripture and that historical moment to imagine what that must have been like, an overwhelming tragedy of God's judgment. Again, every plague, every plague represented a God. And, and, and God sent those plagues to represent his power, his authority, over every God. I mean, he, he is the God of all gods. Amen, church? He is the God that we worship. Now, as I began doing study this week, I began to flip back and look back in the first part of the book of Exodus to realize that God in his grace had given Pharaoh a way out. So look, if you're with me, I'm just going to read it to you. If you have your text, you can look at it. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Here's what God says to Moses to say to Pharaoh in the early part of this whole, this whole narrative. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. Again, this is the Lord's authority. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. I'll kill your firstborn son. So here at the very beginning of the text, God and his grace, are you with me, church family? Thank God for his grace. Said, here's, here's a way out. But we see all throughout the plagues, we see all throughout this season that he is a man who has a hard heart. So you see, the death of the firstborn didn't have to come. If Pharaoh would have capitulated, said, oh, no, I give in. God and his mercy warned him. His heart was callous and stubborn and rebellion and rebellious. I think it's six times throughout the plagues where he hardens his heart. And even there's two or three times where, where God even hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And by doing that, he has demonstrated his, his power, his authority, who he is as God. Centuries later, we're warned against a, head, a hard heart in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, it's kind of a, just a brief transition here. I'm going to make a connection here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, verbatim records Psalm 95. Again, later on, after Israel had left Egypt, here, here are some warnings that God has given through the Psalms and through Hebrews chapter 3 that quotes about the, the, the heaviness and the hardness of, of, of Israel's heart in the, in the desert. Before I get to Hebrews 3, God has, you know, let his people go. And when they go, left out, there was like 600,000 men. Uh, authorities say probably counting women and children. Maybe over 2 million people exited Egypt at the Exodus. 2, two million people. And so when they left, they left quickly. Uh, no couldn't grab food with them. So God provided food. He provided manna. Remember that? God provided manna for them. God provided quail to fall out of the air to, to feed them. Then you fast forward to Exodus chapter 17. Here they are in the wilderness and there's no water. So they start quarreling and 
bickering with Moses. Where's the water? How that's all going to happen? We're not going to get any water. And so God says to Moses, strike the rock. He strikes the rock and water comes out of the rock to provide for the people of God, the Israelites. But what happened with that is to those who experienced that were not allowed to go into the promised land because of a, of a hardened heart. So even though God got them, out of, got them out of Egypt, but now in the wilderness, because of their hardness of heart, he says, no, you're not going to go into the promised land. So with that said, let me go here and read this word of warning that is a, is a good warning for us out of Hebrews chapter 3. The Bible says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So the author of Hebrews is reminding those first century believers, hey, don't harden your heart as those who harden their hearts back in the testing of the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my way, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. So those who are bickering in Exodus chapter 17, because there's no water, they did not get to go into the, to the promised land. And God refers to this as hardened hearts. He's talking in Hebrews to first century believers who have hardened hearts. Today as 21st century believers, church, we are vulnerable to our hearts being hardened toward God. I, I want to do what I want to do. Who, who's God? What are, God to interfere in my life and to give me direction for my life? Or who, who, who does God think he is? We may not say that verbally, but oftentimes in our mind and our thoughts, we think it's like, I'm in control. I'm in charge. I call, I call the shots. And so this, this hardness, this warning not to harden your heart. Medically, you can experience a physical heart hardness cardiomyopathy. You, your heart can become hardened. It can become hard and, and, and thickening of your heart muscle medically. So there's a, a physical medical hardness of your heart. There, there's also a, a spiritual hardening of the heart. Your heart is the core of who you are. The heart represents who you are. It, it's been said that your heart is like the steering wheel of your life. Your heart determines your decisions, your feelings, your outcomes, the choices that you make. That's why the Bible talks a lot about the heart. Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 7. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart for out of your heart flow the issues of life. Out of your life... Out of your heart, you make choices and decisions. So your heart is so important. And what kind of heart do you have today? What about your heart? What is your heart like toward God? What is your heart like toward, toward his word? What is your heart like toward your spouse or toward your children or toward coworkers? The, the heart is the core of who we are and, and how we live out our life. These warning signs of, of criticism or being judgmental or cynical. We can have a calloused heart. We can be stubborn and unforgiving. We can be rebellious. We can no longer believe the best in others. On and on we can go and you can fill in the blanks for you. What, what is it in our heart that hardens us? And good warning for us from Hebrews chapter 3, not to harden our hearts. 
Because God knows your heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He had the opportunity by the grace of God to escape judgment. But he was hard-hearted. And then we see God's deliverance of Israel in chapter 12, verse 33 through 42. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. No doubt, man, we want to get these guys out of here. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls became bound up and their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let them have what they asked and they plundered the Egyptians. Think about that. God said, man, take all their gold, all their jewelry and get out of Dodge. So God just said, hey, I'm going to take care of you guys. And they, they plundered the Egyptians. Judgment on the Egyptians. Verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed from Ramos to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. And mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of, of the dough they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time of that people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord. So they're, they're leaving at midnight, man. We're, there was a, get, get them out of here, man. So they, they're leaving under dark to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout all their generations. So God in his grace gets all the Israelites out of Egypt. Chapter 13 is a confirmation of his promises. In verse 3 of chapter 13, then Moses said to the people, this is so good, remember this day. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. What a good reminder. What a good word from Moses. 430 years of slavery. And he wants to remind them that you are now out of Egypt by the strong hand of God. In fact, in Exodus 13, four times you'll see that statement, the strong or the powerful hand of God. Church, that's the God that we serve. We serve a God who is a God who keeps his promises. He's a promise-keeping God, and he kept his promise. The psalmist says, your promises have been thoroughly tested, and that is why I love them so much. Psalm 119, 160. His promises are faithful. Faithful. He confirms that in chapter 13. Verse 8 and 9 of chapter 13. You shall tell your son on that day, and the word son represents children, is because of what the Lord did for me when he, I came out of Egypt. Then it shall be to you a sign on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. He's saying, don't forget, may the law go forth out of your mouth. And the point here is this, to our children, to our children. 
Our, our children need, need to hear from us as parents who God is, amen, and what God has done for us. I'm thankful for our teachers here at Antioch on Sunday morning, the Awana ministry on Wednesday evenings. Those are so helpful for those who invest in our children. When it really comes down to you and I, what are we communicating to our children about the strong hand of God and the goodness of God and who he is? We just have a little short time, don't we? Those, those, those important moments of one to six or whatever, then, you know, that elementary school, they get to middle school and high school, and all of a sudden, man, they can be gone really, really fast, really fast. How are we communicating to our kids? Are, are we praying together with our children? So I want to just encourage you with that, that you're praying with your spouse. I, I don't know what it is about men, and I've been there, why it sometimes seems so difficult to pray with our wife. I, I, I recall that in my life, just like, ah, but we get to have conversation. When you pray with your spouse, you hear her heart, they hear your heart. You pray over your children, you take time to read with your children. We get so busy, don't we? Don't we? we can get so wrapped up in life, and it is, it is hectic and crazy. But don't minimize or don't miss the significance of your family. Sometimes people say, well, is there a time where it's just too late, you know? I'll tell you what, I would, you, you never give up. You never give up. We have a 33-year-old son that we pray for. And, and we're not giving up, man. We're not giving up to pray. And when we have conversations, we want to mention God and, and encourage him to turn to God and serve God. What a good reminder here. The strong and powerful hand of the Lord and the importance of those teachable moments for our children that he gives here in this passage. So, this is more than uh, historical narrative. This is more than information. This is the word of God. And God's word is transforming, transforming. The Passover became an annual feast for the people of Israel, a yearly reminder of what God did for them. Every year after year after year, there were certain years when they did not have the, the Passover feast, when they were in slavery in different kind of times throughout the historical times. But yet over and over, they were faithful to represent and remember what God had done for them. The Passover points to the ultimate Passover one who is Jesus Christ, the Messiah who had paid the debt and did pay the debt for our sins by his blood, his shed blood on the cross. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ is our Passover lamb. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So all the sacrifices throughout the Old Testament were pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist put it this way in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he first saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the, the, the sins of the world. What would that must have been like in that, the, the Lamb of God? They were, in that, those days, they were still sacrificing lambs. He said, no, here's the Lamb of God capitalized, speaking of Jesus Christ himself that makes the ultimate Passover possible. So here we are 2,000 years later remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. Just prior to his death, 
and crucifixion. Jesus gathered his disciples together in that upper room. In that upper room, they were celebrating the Passover feast. And Jesus took the bread and used it to remind his disciples that this bread is going to represent me. This, this cup, this juice is going to represent me, my shed blood and, and my broken body. And at that moment, at the Last Supper, he inaugurated the Lord's Supper. So we as believers have the privilege, there's no timeline giving, we can do it once a week, once a month, once a year, whatever. We have that privilege of what we call communion, the Lord's Supper, to remember. To remember our exit. Amen? I look back to a 16-year-old teenager when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. That was my, my Passover moment, to put my faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And so today we had the privilege to take communion, the Lord's Supper, and to remember what God has done for us. I was talking to Pastor Steve this week and I think it's been good for us to go through the book of Acts. It's good to go through historical narratives in the, in, the, in the Bible. And so I just said, Steve, hey man, did you just plan this to go have all this, the communion on this day and that? He said, it just happened. I mean, so I think it's just really important to know that here we are right here, this section of scripture, and now we're having communion together to remember the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus Christ himself. The Bible puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just like the Israelites year after year after year, right, had the unleavened bread and the, and the lamb to remember. He said, now I want you to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord suffers for anyone in this room, not to be a member here, but anyone in the room who is a Christ follower, who has their faith in Jesus Christ, we welcome you today to join us in the Lord's Supper, to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. His horrific death on the cross. The Bible mentions seven statements that Jesus made on the cross, one of which was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just for a moment in time, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never have to be forsaken. He did that for you. He did that for me. He shed his blood on the cross that we might be redeemed, saved, rescued from our sins and given new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.